Welcome to Speaking of Love, the podcast, and I am your host, LaToya. I created this podcast in honor of my dad, who was an amazing guy. He had an infectious laugh, and his spirit was magnetic. He was the type of guy who made everybody feel like somebody special. If you were to place him in a crowded room of 100 people, my dad would be the smartest person in the entire room. He was an award-winning radio TV broadcast engineer for many years. Born and raised in the city of Detroit, he was one of the first to go to college in his family. And while attending Wayne State University, he developed a lifelong love affair with the game of basketball. He was the shortest point guard on the team, but he could slam dunk the basketball with either hand. By all outward appearances, my dad lived a rewarding life, but there were parts of him that were known to only him. On March 2nd of 2020, my dad's private struggles became public when he took his own life in a murder-suicide. When he died, a part of me died too. And since the tragedy, I have become an advocate for mental health awareness and suicide prevention. I also created this beautiful podcast in honor of my dad and others like him who are struggling with the effects of mental health challenges. My podcast, Speaking of Love, is named after a show my dad once hosted called Speaking of Sports. Thank you for taking the time to be here with me today as we take a journey in pursuit of the strongest magnetic force on the planet Earth, and that's love. My name is LaToya Bond, and I have a podcast called Speaking of Love. My podcast is dedicated to the memory of my dad who took his own life in a murder-suicide. Aside from that, I am a business owner. I have a home-based business. I am also a legal professional during my nine-to-five day, and I am a person who operates her entire life on the premise of spreading love. It's the secret to my success. It's the secret to my longevity on this earth. And it's what keeps us going because love is the thing that makes all things beautiful. So that's why I'm here today to talk about my favorite subject in the whole wide world, and that's love. Hello, 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 everyone. And welcome to Speaking of Love podcast. I am super excited to be here today. I have Diane Burkhart here all the way from Germany. I am so excited to have her here. This phenomenal woman is here to embrace and bless my platform with her love. Hello, Diane. Hello. It's so good to see you again. It is so good to see you again. I was actually on your podcast and I was also featured in your magazine about a month ago. And so today you're here to do the same for me. So let me introduce you officially to my audience, okay? okay. Diane Burkhart is an award-winning author, graphic designer, and the host of Book Banter. 
She is a book talk podcast and she publishes Book Banter Magazine. She's currently working on a medical memoir and she is here today. The memoir is called Free Bad Haircut with Each Craniotomy. Craniotomy. Craniotomy, which details her experiences in 2004 as she struggled to survive seven surgeries in six months, six of which were brain surgeries. She shares everything in this memoir, including a suicide attempt she had previously revealed. Her near-death experience when she actually died briefly from Mercer staph infection in her brain and what it has been learning, what it has been like learning to thrive with brain damage the past 20 years. Thank you so much for being here, Diane. It's great to be here. I love being able to talk to you. Wonderful. So let's start, Diane. Tell me what life was like for you. Where did you grow up and what were your inspirations coming up as a child? I was born in Wichita, Kansas and lived there until I was 46 years old. And I was a typical Gen X kid. My parents both worked all the time. They were never home. I was a latchkey kid. Most of my memories of my childhood are just me being by myself. Right. I really don't remember having a lot of people around me at any time. I, I learned to be very independent mm -hmm. and that's really carried over a lot into my adulthood, but that's also part of the problem with the things that I struggled with, with mental health in my teen years and my young adult life was because I did not know how to ask for help. I did not know how to reach out to other people. I was one of those people that I relied on myself for everything. Mm. Whenever I started to get into those points where I was really struggling, I didn't reach out. Yeah. And that can be really difficult. Did you grow up with siblings? Were you the only child? I do have a sister, but she is five years older than I am. So we really were never very close because she had an entirely different group of friends and there were so many things that she was doing. She was driving way before I was. She was out going movies and going on dates when I was still in grade school. So we just, we had different circles that we, we were in. Mm -hmm. So when did you discover that you had a love for books? Because I'm looking at your backdrop behind you. It's absolutely beautiful. I love it, love it, love it. So when did you discover that you had a passion for books, Diane? I cannot remember a time that I didn't have books. Okay. You know, was probably like five or six years old. I remember my parents bought me a membership subscription to like Disney picture books. Mm -hmm. And I had bookshelves full of these Disney picture books when I was in grade school. And that's carried through my whole life. I always have tons of books. And I actually worked for a large chain bookstore for about 13 and a half years while I was going to college. And when I first started my career. So I've just, I've always been surrounded by books. I cannot go anywhere without a book with me. Wow. So you're the publisher of Book Banter Magazine. Talk mm -hmm. to us about that experience. Well, I, I actually, um, when I was in college, I worked for the college newspaper. I was the advertising manager. I did graphic design. I did sales and everything. And I even wrote for the, the newspaper. And I really loved that kind of a format. 
So when I was over here and I was doing my podcast, which is audio only, there's no video component. So I can't do like, captions. So you know what? I lost your audio a little bit. So I, whenever I was doing my podcast, since I couldn't have, I don't have video in my podcast. And that way there's no way I can put captions to my podcast. So if anybody is like hard of hearing or deaf, they, they can't follow along with my podcast. So I was trying to think, how could I reach that market so that they can still enjoy all of these authors that I'm, I'm talking to in this podcast? So I decided to create a magazine because I already had years of experience working on newspapers. Mm. So I thought, this is something I know how to do. And I just searched online to find a really easy to use platform for flip books and created Book Banter Magazine using that. It's absolutely beautiful. I I was actually featured in your magazine, and I want to thank you for allowing me to do so. I love the online format. So you don't have physical prints, but it's all online, which right. is much better. I, I think that's a much better way. And even as you're flipping the page, it also makes you, it gives you the feel as if you're reading a real magazine. And we are looking at trying to find a, a reasonably priced way to produce some physical copies but we haven't really finished all that research yet. It, that one's probably going to be a year or two down the line. Yes, it's absolutely wonderful. So what's the motive behind your magazine? I mean, what, what's the, what do you want your readers to walk away with after reading your magazine? I'm, I'm really just trying to introduce as many authors as possible to the reading public. I want to keep bringing in, I've got traditionally published authors, I've got indie authors, I've got every hybrid in between, and I'm just trying to bring a wide variety to the reading public. Somebody that they may not see an ad for, they're not going to see them on the bestsellers list when they go into a bookstore. They're not going to see them in, you know, like the New York Times or USA Today, but they're still fantastic authors with a great message. And I just want to try and bring as many of these people to the public as possible. Now, listen, I have a question. What is an indie author? Because you are an award-winning indie author. Can you explain that to us? That just means that everything that I do is self-published. I do not have another publishing house that is doing my books for me, like Ingram or Random House. Those are traditionally published authors. They have a publishing house that does the publishing work for them. I do everything. I do the formatting. I do the layout. I do the cover design. And I load it up into the program to have it be available to people to download and buy or get print copies of it. So yeah. I do absolutely everything. So that makes me an independent publisher. Got Yeah, I understand. So you won an award for your publishing. Can we talk about your award? Yeah, it was actually for the first book in my series that I wrote as Stephen Burkhart because I started out publishing under a pen name because even though I had I have a degree in journalism, I was a writer for many, many years. After all of the brain surgeries, I really wasn't sure how good I would be able to write a book. Mm. So whenever I decided to try writing, I chose a pen name. And I did a little bit, bit of research and I was going to write a historical fiction story that was not romance. 
just straight historical fiction and kind of a Western. And marketing research told me that books that were written by men in that category sold better. So I picked a male pen name to write under. And I took my maiden last name, Stevens, and dropped the last S and added my married last name and became Stephen Burkhardt. Oh, very (laughs) clever. I love that. But the first book in that series, the Into the West, the Orphan Train, won two books for his two awards for historical fiction from Top Shelf magazine. Wow. It was a finalist. And then the next year, the judges liked it enough that they made it a nominee. Wow, that's amazing. Congratulations, Diane. Thank you. And the thing that was really wild is that was the first contest I had ever entered. Okay, I did good. I'm going to stop now. I didn't, I have not entered any others because I thought I'm not going to top that. (laughs) Yes, that's beautiful. Beautiful. So what do you love most about being a magazine publisher and an author? What's the greatest joy in all of that? A lot of it's just creativity. I love creating these magazines and the layout and trying to figure out, you know, what fonts and what animation to use. And it's just, it's a really nice creative outlet for me because I get bored very easy and I hate being bored. So anytime I have that, that moment where I'm like, okay, what am I going to do? I don't want to watch TV. I go create something. (laughs) And I know you of all people would be able to understand that because of all the creative things that you're involved in as well. Yes, I definitely tend to keep myself busy in books. I've always been a big book reader. Um, I don't talk about that much on my podcast, but in my home, I have a library downstairs and I have so many books and my shelves are double stacked. And just reading has really been a great outlet for me. And it's helped me through some very difficult times in my life as as well as some great times. So I have some favorites. I've been thinking about uh, removing a lot of the books, just kind of sharing them and passing them on. But every time I sit down to de- decide which books I want to give away, <laughs> I can't make a decision. So <laughs> you know, I, I tell you, one of the hardest things that I ever had to do when I got married and my husband got a job in Europe and we moved over here, I had to get rid of about 95% of my books. Wow. It was the most heart-wrenching thing I have ever had to do in my life. And I have been slowly over the years rebuilding that as eBooks. So wherever we move, I'll always have that library with me in my reader. So you have to tell me, Diane, what's your favorite book? What's the greatest book you've ever read? There is a book that I read in high school that I still to this day will reread it every once in a while. And it's like nothing that most people have ever heard of. It's a sci-fi novel that's by Tanith Lee and it's called Silver Metal Lover. And it's actually a coming of age story of this young girl who spends most of her time in the world alone and how she gets out of this shell that she has let herself build up around her and get out into the world and become a very independent person. Wow. So you, how many times have you read it? (laughs) Oh my gosh, probably like 30 times. Wow. That's amazing. Well, you know, and the funny thing, whenever I was in high school, I loaned it to one of my friends because I was like, you have to read this book. And she Mm -hmm. lost it. <gasps> go no! And it was out of print. And no. Heartbroken. I spent years searching garage sales and second shops 
and flea markets. And I finally found another paperback copy at this flea market. And I was so ecstatic. I bought it. And then even whenever I had that one copy left, I kept looking every time I would go to those places, I would look and every copy I found, I would buy. And whenever I was getting ready to move over to Europe, I had six copies of that book wow. in paperback and hardcover and large print. I mean, it was just so funny. I still kept three of them and brought them with me. Oh, that's beautiful. I love hearing stories like that. I know. I remember one time my daughter was maybe about six or seven years old and we had just come home from the grocery store and I had just uh, purchased the book that I was reading and it was called, the book is called A Reliable Wife. I can't remember the author's name, mm -hmm. but I told my daughter, I said, hold the book and I'm going to carry the groceries into the house. And as we're walking into the home, she slipped and fell and dropped my book. And the first thing I could say was, oh my God, my book, I'm so, what, what, how could you do this? I didn't realize that she had hurt her knee. You know, uh, she was <laughs> like, I don't care about that. I was only concerned about my book. You dropped my book. <laughs> so I totally relate to the love that you have for books, Diane. That is so beautiful. And I truly admire your platforms and your what you have accomplished with, with just the love of books. That's wonderful. You know, and whenever I'm picking people to come onto my, my podcast, I try to get a wide variety of authors, even authors that I am not into their genre and would never personally read for my own entertainment. Mm -hmm. As long as their books are well done and they're well received, I want to bring them on to further their platform because sure. I'm trying to meet my audience's needs and my audience's desired genres, not my own. Of course. Of and course. that's why I try and get as many different genres as I can pull from. Wow. That's beautiful. So speaking of your, your reading and your genre, I want to talk to you about the, the medical memoir, Free mm -hmm. Bad Haircut, which with each craniotomy. 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 <laughs> okay, so talk to us, Diane, about the inspiration behind that book and just a little bit about what happened with you and your, your medical condition and all. Well, for me, this was all 20 years ago. This year is my 20th anniversary having survived all of these surgeries. And for the longest time, my advisor in college, Les Anderson, used to always tell me, whenever you get around to writing books, this is the book you need to write. He goes, because I know that's your goal one day, you need to write this story. Mm -hmm. And I wasn't really feeling like I was to the point that I could do a good job telling this story until now. Mm -hmm. After I did that whole series of Stephen Burkhart and that came out well-received, I'm like, okay, I have the chops now that I'm ready to write this story. And the fact that it's the 20th anniversary was just perfect timing. Perfect timing. Yeah. But this whole thing started when I was working um, in the bookstore after I got out of college. I was working as I started my career. I was still keeping the job at the bookstore and I got hurt on the job. I got, there was um, a bookshelf. It was a mall bookstore. And whenever we would open, we would have to push some of these things out in front of the store's security gate into the area that's part of the mall. And then at night we would have to pull all this stuff back 
behind the security gate so we can close everything and secure everything down for the night. And it was my job to pull all this stuff back. And in the morning, one of the bookshelves on wheels had broken. Oh, no. And they just propped the wheel underneath it to keep it standing upright during the day and didn't tell any of us that it was broken. And so when I went to go move it that night, that broken wheel popped out and the bookshelf fell over on me and hit me in the legs and slammed me down on a hardwood floor on top of cement. And it just slammed me down. They figured with about 250 pounds of pressure into a seated position on this floor. And it just knocked my breath out of me. I was dizzy. I, I didn't hit my head. I just sat down really hard. But that was enough to start causing this whole cascade of neurological problems that took a year to figure out and diagnose. Wow. And when they finally figured out what was going on, they said that I had a Chiari malformation, which means that part of my brain is actually in my neck with my spinal cord. Oh, my goodness. In the back of your head, you have your two main lobes, and then underneath, there's your um, cerebellum and then it has these two tonsils that usually curl up and are inside your skull for most people. But for people like me, those tonsils hang down into your spinal cord or your spinal column with your spinal cord. So for normal people, you have your spinal column and you have your spinal cord in the middle and there's room around it for cerebral spinal fluid to flow. And that's what keeps your brain functioning and everything, all the neurons firing. But whenever you have your spinal cord and these cerebral tonsils, you don't get as much area for that cerebral spinal fluid to flow. Mm. For me, when I had that accident, it shoved that all down in there like a cork. Oh my goodness. So my brain was not getting the fluid that it needed to properly function. And I started developing all kinds of nerve damage. I was having trouble walking, talking, swallowing, thinking, you know, I was dropping things. I was slurring. I was tripping, you know, it's really a horrible experience. And it started out slow and just kept progressing. Mm -hmm. And whenever they finally figured it out, my neurosurgeon said, you know, we can just wait and see if things get better and do the surgery later. And I was like, okay, if I keep developing nerve damage, if it doesn't get better, whenever you do finally do the surgery, will you be able to reverse the nerve damage? And Mm -hmm. he's like, no, more than likely any nerve damage you have is going to be forever. And I was Mm -hmm. like, let's not wait. (laughs) Let's do the surgery now. So they did a decompression surgery, which they took part of the skull out of my head and replaced it with a flexible tissue because they can't put that part of my brain that's in my neck back into my skull. They just had to create more room for the fluid to flow around it and get back up into my head the way it was supposed to. Wow. And I also have a Cyrenix, which is a pocket of fluid, which is inside my spinal cord, which they think just all the pressure buildup from where those parts were shoved in there like a cork ended up forcing some fluid into my spinal cord. Mm. And so I went into the first surgery with the Chiari malformation and the Cyrenix. And then I came out with hydrocephalus too. 
because once they got the fluid flowing back up to my brain, I got too much and my head started swelling up. So they tried to compensate for that and put pressure bandages on to hold everything really nice and tight until it could all heal and would automatically level out on its own. And everything was going really good. And then I sneezed. Oh no. And the patch in the back of my head popped. Oh. And after that, I just kept having complication after complication after complication. It like never really would hold and heal correctly. They ended up putting a VP shunt, which is a little valve up here that's in my skull underneath my hair. Mm. You can see here. Wow. And that regulates the cerebral spinal fluid for me. So if I get too much, it drains it out into my intestines and it just gets reabsorbed by my body. Oh my goodness. I have a photo here of you, Diane, even through the, in the midst of all of that. Look at this. Look at your beautiful smile. <laughs> that was me trying to be punk with that haircut. <laughs> yes. I mean, you, you look so happy during this time, but Diane, I also understand that you had thoughts of suicide during this time. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, before, really quick about that picture. That picture is so significant for me because that is the first way I saw myself after that surgery where they put the VP shunt in my head because all of the surgeries that I had done before, this is like the third. And whenever I would come out of the surgery and I'd open my eyes, my mom would be there and she would be smiling. She's like, you're doing this. You got it. No problem. After this surgery, whenever I opened my eyes, I looked up and my mother burst into tears. I'm like, oh my God, I don't want to know what I, I don't want to know what I look like. It has to be bad. I don't want to know if mom is bawling is bad. So I had her go into my room and cover up all of the reflective surfaces. I did not want to see myself until mm -hmm. I could mentally process what was going on with me. And I had her take that photo and I looked at it on the little screen on her digital camera. And that was the first way I had seen myself like that. Wow. And then it was like after, then I'm like, okay, go ahead and uncover a mirror. Let me see, you know, and it, it was just part of the process. So that, that photo is very important to me. Oh, I'm sure it is. So um, I know that you had <laughs> suicide during this very difficult time in your life. Can you share a little bit of that experience with my audience? Yeah, and actually, um, I, I actually attempted suicide. I am a suicide failure because I had always been kind of a depressive person. I had a lot of thoughts about, you know, I'd go to bed at night and think, please don't let me wake up in the morning. <laughs> you know, I just, I was so drained a lot of the time and I just would get very depressed and it would run in cycles and I finally you know, I never attempted suicide, but I had those thoughts mm -hmm. during this year, 2004, I was having problems at work because people were not happy that I had filed a work comp claim for this accident that I had. My father had a triple bypass. My grandfather was in hospice dying from cancer. Our 18 year old cat that we had had to be put to sleep. Oh, grandmother was housebound. And my poor mother was running around taking care of everybody while I'm going through all these brain surgeries. 
and my grandfather actually did die between two of the brain surgeries that I was having. And it was just a horrible year. I always refer to it as my year in hell because it really seriously was. Mm -hmm. But whenever you take somebody who already has depressive thoughts, then you have this accident where I have had a headache every day of my life since I had the accident in 2002. Oh my God. I have a headache all day long. I go to bed with a headache. I wake up with a headache. The only thing that changes is how bad the pain level is. Mm. But it's always there. There's always pain. But during this year, the pain was excruciating. There was a lot of times that the pressure was so high in my head that I couldn't sit up in bed because it would just make my head start throbbing and make me want to throw up. Oh, my goodness. And it would be that morning, noon, night every minute of every day mm. and I just got to the point after about the fourth surgery that I just I didn't want to do it anymore and I'm one of those people I don't ask for help I never tell people that I'm having problems I don't tell people I'm having issues I don't say hey can we talk I really need to get this off my chest I don't do that as a matter of fact, my, my husband will often say, okay, you need to talk. Tell me what's going on. Come on. He like, he knows when he needs to draw it out of me because he knows I won't come to him and say, Hey, I'm having a bad time, but he can see it in me and mm -hmm. he will make me talk, which I love about him. But at this time, I just, I didn't know how to do that. Mm. And there weren't a lot of people around. I was spending a lot of time in my bedroom, I was living with my parents at the time because, you know, I'm going through all these crazy medical things. I needed help. And I was in a bedroom in the basement, living in pain, not able to get up and do anything, just laying there watching TV. That was it. And I was like, I do not want this to be my life. Wow. And so I, this shows you just how diabolical I am. I wanted to make sure that my parents could get my life insurance to cover any medical bills that I might leave behind. And so I made a point to not say anything to anybody. I was not giving my treasured things away. I formulated a plan. I had so many drugs that I was taking. I was taking sleeping pills. I was taking muscle relaxers. I was taking several different narcotics for the pain. So I slowly during the day, just kept taking more and more and more of my pills. Wow. And I made sure it was not like a whole bunch at once. I wanted it to look like an accidental overdose. Mm. And I mean, I had the whole thing figured out. And by the time I finally couldn't stay awake anymore and took the last few pills that I thought would push it over the edge, mm -hmm. I just thought, you know, I, I'm so glad that I won't be in pain anymore. And I woke up 16 hours later and I realized when I woke up that I felt so much better and that a big part of my problem was sleep deprivation at that time. Oh, okay. Okay. So pain, I couldn't sleep. Mm. Having nights where I was only getting two or three hours of sleep a night, being in all that pain, being so isolated, that was a lot of my mental problems at that time. Mm -hmm. and I felt so much better after getting that really good long sleep that it made me aware, okay, I've got to pay attention to how much I'm sleeping. I've got to get out of this room more 
and actually interact with some people and not just sit here and live in pain. Mm. I started changing things. And then what really changed my whole attitude about everything. I mean, my personality completely changed after my experience with death. Wow. Because I got the Mersin staph infection in my head and ended up having to go back into the hospital. And I was seen by infectious disease specialists every single day because I was so toxic. I had so much of this infection just throughout my entire system. I got to where I didn't even have the strength to open my eyes anymore. I didn't have the energy for that. Mm. And I couldn't speak. I was too tired to even speak. So I was laying in their bed one night just thinking, okay, if it is my fate to die from this, please, God, kill me now because I can't take this anymore. Mm -hmm. It is my fate to live through this. Please, God, make me start getting better now because I can't do this anymore. And I'm at the point that I don't care which one you choose. I'm just giving it up to you. Do whatever you want. I'm fine with it. I'm just handing my life over to you. Just please do it now. Mm -hmm. And in that moment, the bedroom that I was in in the hospital got very bright and I opened my eyes and I was alone, but I heard a voice saying, that's all I was waiting for. Wow. Wow. And that experience was just so incredible and peaceful and just filled me with so much love. Mm -hmm. I did come back. My entire personality was changed. Mm -hmm. It was not, I was always heavy obsessive compulsive before this and I'm still obsessive compulsive. But before it was like psychotic, obsessive compulsive. I had like a sock drawer that had all of my colored socks in it. And it was in order by the color wheel. Wow. (laughs) They had white and black and gray. And it was in order by the grayscale. Everything was hyper controlled. Mm -hmm. When I was working at the newspaper, my staff used to even joke. They would come in. And while they were talking, they would like move something just a tiny bit. And they would bet on how long it would take me to reach over and straighten it again. (laughs) That obsessive, everything was at right angles. Everything was perfect. Everything was exactly where it was supposed to be. And Mm -hmm. after I had this death experience, I'm like, you know, I don't care if my socks are all mixed up. I have socks. That's all that's important. (laughs) So after that experience, after that day, you didn't have any suicidal thoughts after that anymore? Not serious ones. I mean, every once in a while, I will have like a negative thought kind of pop into my head, but it's like gone as soon as it does. I think there's still like a little bit of my old personality that kind of keeps trying to push it back up. Mm -hmm. And I, I kick it to the curb as soon as it happens. It does not hold on with me anymore. It's, it's like more of a memory of what I used to be like. It's not who I am now. Mm-hmm. So if someone is watching this podcast right now, Diane, or if they're listening and they're going through a very difficult time in their lives, they don't want to be here anymore. They're having thoughts of suicide and they, they're, they're ready to go. What advice would you give them to help them hold on a little bit longer? You know, whenever I was going through all of this stuff, I had a quote by Churchill up on my my wall. Or actually, I had it on everything. It was called, it said, um, when you're going through hell, keep going. 
Mm. And this was something that he had said during World War II because, you know, they were having so many bombing raids and everything in the UK during World War II. People were living in hell at that time. But whenever you're going through the bad times, you just have to keep going. Because if you decide to take your own life today, you can't change your mind tomorrow. Mm-mm. But if you decide to live through today and see what tomorrow is going to be like, you can always change your mind after that. But you never have that opportunity if you take your life today. Sure. Sometimes the next day brings things that you never imagined. And if you don't just put your head down and trudge through the bad stuff, you're never going to get to the good. Mm. And that's those things that I really had to keep reminding myself through all of this was, yes, I was in pain. Yes, I was debilitated a lot of the time. And I was not given a good prognosis from my doctors. My doctors were telling me, you're never going to be out of pain. You're never going to be able to have a good life. You're never going to be able to work again. Just go on social security, you know, live in your parents' basement for the rest of your life. This is your life now. Mm -hmm. And I absolutely refused to accept that. Yeah. And I started making changes. And one of the changes was I did start asking for help when I felt I really, truly needed it. People think that others will not care of the struggles that they're going through. And that is not true. Mm-hmm. A lot of times our brain tells us lies that we feel comfortable with. Because if you go ask somebody for help, you're making yourself vulnerable. Sure, sure. If you don't go out and ask for help. You will never know how much you are valued by other people. Mm-hmm. You will be surprised, I would bet, 90% of the time how many people will jump to your rescue and lend you a hand and lend you an ear if you need to talk, if you just let them know that you need it. Yes, yes. Reach out for help. And if you are feeling suicidal and you're watching or listening, please dial 988, the suicide lifeline number, just like you would dial 911 in a medical emergency or a crisis. You can now dial 988 in the United States and... There are people there 24 hours a day, seven days a week, trained professionals who are there to help you. So please, as my beautiful friend Diane has said, stay awake, stay around, don't give up and reach for help. That's the most important. We can't do this alone. Is that right, Diane? Absolutely. We can't do it alone. So Diane, I created this podcast in honor of my dad. He took his own life in a murder-suicide, and my father loved radio TV broadcasting. He was a radio sports radio show host at one time of his life, and in his life, he hosted a show called Speaking of Sports. So when he died, I wanted to do something to honor him. I know nothing about sports. So I created this podcast called Speaking of Love in memory of his show, Speaking of Sports. So the million dollar question that I ask all of my guests who sit before me, Diane, is how do you define love? You know, I was actually thinking about this the other day because you had mentioned this question. And I honestly, for me, I would not have one single definition because Mm -hmm. the way that I love my sister is not the way that I love my cousins. The way that I love my husband is not the way that I love my parents. 
love is so subjective because it's different with every relationship that you have. And I think the basis of it is just this acceptance that the people that you love, you are willing to accept them as they are without question. Some people are more difficult to live with and some people are easy to live with. But there's always this, if you really truly love somebody, there's this unconditional aspect to it. But as far as like a, an absolute definition, mm -hmm. I, I don't think I would be able to do that because it's just, it's so different with every relationship that I have. Yes, it is. Definitely. Definitely. Love is the thing that makes all things beautiful. So Diane, I'm not going to hold you much longer. Is there anything else you'd like to share with my audience before we conclude the interview? Your interview on my pat podcast, the book venture with Diane Burkhart will be coming up here on February 28th. And people can hear me interview you about your books and your podcast. <laughs> oh, thank you. How can you give us the information so that we can go and find you on your podcast? Actually, if they go to burkhartbooks.com, then they can find links to the podcast. They can listen to the podcast on my website. They can find the current issue of Book Banter Magazine, which you are in. And we have the strawberry pound cake recipe from your cookbook. <laughs> Please pass the love, which my husband thanks you for. <laughs> yes. Yes, Diane. Um, she Valentine's Day and he loves the recipe. Uh, thank you, Diane. She even showed me pictures of her. Uh, she made my strawberry pound cake from my recipe book, and it looks absolutely amazing and delicious. What was that experience like following the recipe and making the cake? How did that turn out for you? You know, it was so easy to make, and I have actually had a lot of problems with using a butt pan. That It always seems like the little bits at the top of the pan do not want to come out with the rest of the cake. Yes. The recipe came out perfect. Wow. Thank you for that. I'm so honored that you took the time to make your husband a cake from my book. That was so sweet. Yeah, I absolutely loved it. I think he had like four pieces the first day I made it. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, they say with pound cakes, as they get older, they get better with time. So the second or third day there, they taste much better than they do as they are on the first day. So, oh my gosh. And putting that with the fresh strawberries and a little bit of whipped cream was like the perfect combination. It was so good. Wow. Thank you, Diane. I really appreciate that. Uh, we talked a little bit about the podcast, but tell my audience how they can reach out to you on your podcast as well. If there's somebody who would like to be a guest on my podcast, if they're an author and they can go to the podcast page and there is an application form that they can fill out and we can work them into our lineup. Awesome. And that's BurkhardBooks.com. B-U-R-C-K-H-A-R-D-T books.com. Burkhardbooks.com. We are streamed on all of the major podcast hosting sites. And actually, if you ask Siri or Alexa, <laughs> then they can uh, actually get the podcast for you. All you have to do is say to play the latest episode and it will bring up the last one that's been broadcast. 
Wow. I have to say one of those names mm -hmm. quietly because I have one on the other side of the room. <laughs> I kind of figured that, <laughs> you know, my uh, my I have a Google Home and it really helps me when I'm cooking because I can set timers. I can ask questions all while at the same time while I'm cooking. So it's really, oh, yeah. really a joy to have. So, Diane, I have one more question for you before I let you go. Uh, when the pages of your life are reviewed, Diane, and your mission here on the planet Earth is complete, what do you most want to be remembered for? What legacy are you leaving behind? That I was helpful. I, yes. I just want to be known that I helped as many people as I possibly could with what was important to them. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, you have already achieved your intention because you're doing just that with all the beautiful books that you have written and the inspiring authors that you have brought to the forefront and you featured in your magazine and on your podcast. Continue doing the great work that you're doing over in Germany. Mm -hmm. And I am really honored that you took the time out of your day to be here today. You have inspired us all with your remarkable story of overcoming and you're very resilient. And I, I love that feature and that quality in you and just keep on, keep going and stay on this pathway and continue to make us all better. Thank you, Diane. Thank you. And if people want to find out more about the medical memoir, it will be published this October. Awesome. And they can find the book on your website as well, right? Yes. Well, thank you, Diane, for being here. Thank you so much to my beautiful audience and my listeners. Thank you for being here for this 133rd episode of Speaking of Love, the podcast. I am available on all major podcast platforms. The podcast also lives forever on YouTube and Facebook. So you can watch us uh, on the replay on those podcast platforms. And I hope you all have a beautiful weekend and we'll see you next time. Bye everyone.